0: Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. I'm Nancy McLean, and I'm joined by Kate Acton and today we have a very special guest on the podcast. Um, He grew up 20 minutes from Louisiana Downs. He's done so much in racing. He's a multiple stakes place jockey with earnings of 2.4 million dollars. He was an actor in the Secretariat movie. Uh, You might Um, You know, watch it. He's the jockey for sham. And uh, he's been assistant trainer for Tom Amos, Mark Cassie, and Dwayne Lucas. And for those around the world, and in the UK, especially those are some very successful, highly producing trainers And this year, he is the head trainer for Man of Steel Enterprises, LLC. He's had four starts with three wins and one third for 100% in the money rating. I want to welcome Keith Austin to the podcast. Welcome, Keith.
1: Nice nice to be on. Nice to um, have the opportunity to talk with y'all.
0: Well, um, it's great to have you. I have to say, I've. Keith was scheduled for last week's show. However, because of the Category 5 Hurricane Laura, um, we did another podcast, and we thought he would have other things to deal with. But he was ready to go last week, and we were the ones that kind of dropped the ball Um, And that kind of shows his work ethic and how he seems to be always on task. And um, Keith, how did you pick racing as a career?
1: I don't think I really picked it as a career as much as my family um, was in the industry for so long. My grandfather was a jockey. Um, His wife trained horses. My mother was a groom. My stepfather was a groom. and, And, you know, we would just I was just here. I was just around horses my whole life and it just evolved to move forward is that's what I wanted to do.
0: Well, I saw a picture of your mom on one of the social media pages and she's like in her sixties and she was on one of your race horses.
1: Yeah. A funny story about that is um, when I was in New Orleans this winter, uh, I was given a horse. Um, We were all talking about, it was a friend of mine that they spent a lot of money to get a package of horses together. And the, the package of horses went it wasn't doing any good. And they got down to the last horse and that was her. And she had run last like four or five times. And I was aggravated because it was one of my friends that was in the, the syndicate for the horse. So I said, I'll tell you what, after the horse runs today, I'll I'll take the horse. And he said, Okay, if you want to have it, you can have it. So I didn't have a snap. I didn't have a halter. I didn't have nothing. Zero. And the horse ran naturally. It finished last again. And, um, uh, his name was Charlie beacon. He's a good friend of mine. And he said, do you still want the horse? I said, Oh, of course. So, uh, the trainer had called me. I'm not going to say his name. Um, later that, that day. And he told me that I didn't want the horse because the horse has a lot of problems. And I told him, well, I'm going to take doors anyway. If it can walk out of the stall, I'm going to take it anyway. So um, that afternoon at feed time, I went over there and told the groom to jog it on the concrete. And they jogged it. And I said, that's fine. I says, "Uh, I need that halter, though. And I'll bring it back later. So I grabbed the halter with my hand with no shank or nothing. And I led her over to another barn where Kathleen Mordenti, another trainer, gave me a stall. And I put her in there. Well, I was only an owner at the time, so the filly was going to go in my name as an owner. I didn't have a trainer's license, so I had, I had runner, and she almost won when I had runner. Well, mm-hmm. I was giving the horse to my mother, so the horse is at the barn. She's my mascot. She's not going nowhere. She's the one that started the whole deal. Her name is Innerslew, but she's, a, she's so high, and she's so crazy that I can't put my mother to ride her because she's just too hard to handle. Yeah. So smart Pegasus across the shed row, and I know she's so good, and she's about to run, and she's you know I train her all the time, and I know her really really well. And my mom's like, man, I really want to ride Inner because she comes out on the weekends and see sees her. And I said, you know what? You can't ride her, but you can ride this one. And I walked in the tack room, and I got the the saddle and the bridle, and I put it on there, and I brought her out, and I legged my mom up. I said, there you go. And that was four <laughs> days. That was four days before she went by twelve links.
0: Oh my God. Wow. My
1: mom rode her all over the place.
0: I think I'd have your mom ride her before every start. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: You're not that can kidding. can be your lucky charm.
1: <laughs> You're not kidding. But it all started with Inner And that's how this all evolved to to push me to start training horses, was because of her. So she's still at the barn. She don't run. She um she hangs out. She's just like the rest of the racehorses. I just don't bring another track or nothing, but she's gorgeous. She's there.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations. Cause it seemed like you've, you know, completed another notch far rate, far your racing career. You've gone from exercise rider now to head trainer. And in the middle there, you did a little acting and I know you did the Secretariat movie. Did you have any other acting jobs?
1: Yeah, um, we did a movie called Cowboys and Jesus. It was a Christian film. Okay. Uh, uh, we did that here and uh, we did that in Arkansas. I was a police officer in that show, in that movie. Um, I, thought,
0: I thought you kind of had an acting career for a while because I would run into you at the racetrack and you know, you kind of would fill me in on things you were doing yeah i I would
1: i i got some i had some calls come in but you know when we did the secretariat movie we had if you watch the end of the if on the dvd they had a thing about the the horse and they interviewed a lot of us and so we all sat down in a room and um, they had the cameras on us and they interviewed us each one by one and then they cut that up and they used that at the end of the movie like as I think it was called champions of champions or something.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the story about secretariat, the man that, the, that asked me to do that said, uh, Keith, would you like, you know, for us to, to interview you to, um, to be on that, that show at the end of the, the DVD. I said, yeah, I would love it. So he ended up talking to me like three hours. We were in the room. We were just talking. He, they were so fascinated you know the actors and the and the 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 directors of they were making a movie of a horse of a racehorse, which is that's what they do. But to talk to somebody that was really involved in racing, they absolutely loved it. And we yeah. sat in there and talked for like three hours. And he asked me, he said, "How do you like you know being an actor?" And I said, "Well, I I mean I like it." He says, "Well, would you like to continue?" And I said, "You know." There's great money in this, and I may be okay. I may be able to be an actor, but it's not my passion. I says I love race horses, and that's what I want to do. So, anytime I have gotten calls to do different projects, you have to remember the projects are only two months, or three months, or a week, or a day. If you do a commercial, it might be a couple days, and you might not get work for another six months to a year. So, if you're not an actor that is working all the time, it could be a long time before you get your next gig, as mm-hmm. it, I guess as they would call it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I says, because once I, when, when you're in the horse racing game, as you know, Nancy, you got to, you're there every day. Yeah. You can't yeah. just decide, even if you're a jockey, when you're riding and you're starting to be successful and you're starting to win races, I can't say, hey guys, I'm going on a break for three weeks to go make um, this hurricane movie. I'll be back they yeah. don't pick you back up to ride the horses again the next guy comes in so you have to you have to keep on the same task that you're going you have to keep moving forward for what you love and what your passion is and i just been on that i just been going straight the whole time i mean no matter the setbacks i just go straight and hope yeah. for the
0: best well i've kept up with you because i i thought those uh that time you spent in saratoga i believe was that last summer yes or- yeah, that, those pictures were beautiful up there. And um, were you assistant trainer for D. Wayne Lucas at that time?
1: Yes, um, I I galloped horses for him. They have an assistant there. His name is Bass Nichols. He's an incredible assistant. He does a lot of work for Wayne Lucas. He is like the, the heart of the stable. He is one of my great friends. But I was like a floater. So if they needed me to do anything, like maybe stand in the saddle a horse or... Or you know anything that they needed for me to have that assistant license that I could do under the rules, and that's why I had the license. Um, I learned a lot from him. Uh, I became really great friends with um, Dwayne Lucas and his wife Laura, um, Lori. and it, it's, it was an extraordinary three years just to spend the time with them at that racetrack. After riding at all the cheap tracks, you know, you ride at Fairmont, you ride at Buell, you ride at Hoosier, you ride just a different tracks and then you get the opportunity to be at Saratoga and it's a really an eye opener. And to be with that status of individuals was amazing.
0: I bet it was. And you know, the value of learning from these uh, masters who have kind of honed their craft with thousands of horses, you know, it's amazing. And so I've kind of kept up with your um, upward movement through the industry and I was thrilled to see when you had your trainer's license so um, I just think you have a lot of staying power and that's the key is you're following your passion and that's what I try to tell people is uh, working with horses whether it's event horses or thoroughbred racing or whatever you have to have a passion for it because it's way too much work other than then you couldn't do it. It just would burn you out over time. So um, That's so
2: true, though. It's really just the love for it that motivates you, isn't it? Because, like, could you pick one specific thing that motivates you? You know, anytime I think about it, it's just that feeling of being around horses. Like, there's nothing else that's like it.
1: what, What people don't understand and I understand it because I've been around these animals my whole entire life and they are all individuals. They all have a mind of their own. They all um, have characteristics. If you know them and you understand them, you, you can see like when they're sick, when they don't feel good, You, you can, I put, I try not to put no, Um, shanks over the horse's nose. I try not to. I use a rope. I clip it on the friggin' halter. People say, you're crazy. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get this. You're going to get that. But my horses don't hurt me because they understand me. I understand them. I love them. They love me. And they run their eyeballs out for me. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I think that's, that's my success at this point is because of them, because everything I've done is because of, of the thoroughbred racehorse but they try for me because they know i love them and when they step out there they do their best for me because they know when they come back to that barn they got love and they're just not a livestock or just a a tool to make money with
0: Mm -hmm.
2: that's it i think trust is just one of those things that you really spend a long time building with horses and it is a relationship you know and they are companions and if you you can't replicate that trust so it's just so true what you've said you know they know that at the end of the day they're coming back with you somewhere where they're really taken care of and really loved and that's the difference between just being a commodity I guess.
1: Very well said very well said you know as a jockey I rode for 20 probably 24 years and I and my even when i started riding my moda my my mindset was if the horse starts to struggle underneath me and he feels like he's going to unravel at any time it's time for me to stop driving him in the ground to try to get every ounce out of him i've been in trouble with stewards i've had 30 day fines i've had 5 months um where they suspended me i've had trainers fire me and Every time it's happened, I always said, God takes care of me and gave me a race to make a living on. And for doing that, I will take care of them. I have rode over 5,000 horses, and I have never been seriously injured, ever. I've never had a horse break down and fall and break my neck or my leg or, or nothing. And the reason for that, I feel, is because God has a hand in this and he knows I take care of these horses and I didn't care if I lost uh, a big stable or if I lost a little stable, if the horse didn't perform the way I felt like it should perform. And I felt like it was time for him to, to get eased up. I was easing him up. Now, don't get me wrong. If I felt like it was time to go and he was giving me everything he got and we could get to the wire, we're going. But, but the flip side of the coin is, If he's struggling and on that day he just don't feel like running, I'm not going to be the one to put him to to get him to get put down or get him to go back to the barn broke down. I I just wasn't that guy.
0: Yeah, well, good for you, Keith, because I think that's what the public needs to realize is that you know you normally cannot sustain a career for this long without loving the animals and without loving the sport. And you've been one to sow good seeds into these horses. So you reap the blessings that come from that. And I think that's important. That's part of racing that right now in America, uh, many people don't get to see they're trying to, to change and to make the marketing, um, not so business oriented, but, um, I think you've said it in a nutshell that maybe the best marketing is just showing how much we care for these animals.
1: Exactly. You know, one of my mottos is I say, uh, take a chance of a life, uh, take a chance, take a chance for the chance of a lifetime. It's, it's yeah. the the reason why I say that is because we're taking a chance with a racehorse when we put our mo- hard earned money into it. And we might not get the money that, you know, we might put up the money and not never see it again or lose a lot of money or whatever. It's a chance, mm-hmm. but, but it's a chance of a lifetime to be around these racehorses as well. I mean, I don't look at this as a business. I, I want everybody to have fun. If you have a horse running with well, the first horse I had running, I had, all my friends was at the barn. Yeah. We were all there. We, I had bought water. I bought Gatorade. They were petting the horse. They were doing everything. And before we were about an hour out. And I said, listen, you guys, about an hour, an hour and a half out, um, um, we're going to have to let her settle because um, she's about to go to war. She's about to go up there and give her heart to us. And we're going to have to leave her alone and, and, and do whatever. But right now she enjoyed it. She loved everybody petting her. She, she loved it. She knew why she was there. She knew that, the, that, the everybody was there for her and we had a great time and we all walked up there like a prize fighter going to fight in a boxing ring and we <laughs> came out the victor. And it, that was one of the most, we had 40 people. They, they had to be about 40 people in the winner circle when we won. That's incredible. And it was a 12 five. It was a 12 five maiden race. Wow.
0: That's incredible. And that's such a, so true that every time you have a horse running, it's like a holiday. I mean, it's like the excitement and it's, you know, I was a little bit, um, you know, sold on that, letting them settle too, because, you know, you want them to kind of get, not be washed out or run their race before they get to the paddock, you know. But that's so true that it's incredible and to, to have a win your first time out. And then I saw that you had, you know, two others. I think you had two wins and then the third and then another win. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm thrilled for you that you're doing so good. But how did you come up with Man of Steel Enterprises? Is Superman kind of a... um you know, one of your favorite superheroes?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so the movie came out probably in 78 or 77, something like that. And I live with my grandmother, uh, Lorraine. She passed away about uh, a couple years ago. Um, she died at the house. We never sent her to the nursing home. She was here the whole time. She had dementia and Alzheimer's. My mother, Linda, and my step dad Brian and my sister Melanie took care of her the whole time um but i just remember being at her house and taking a towel and wrapping around me and jumping on couch to couch like i was superman and <laughs> and, and superman's been there in my life the whole time um i wear superman shirts when i when i ride races i wear my superman shirts when i'm in my shorts i have so many superman shirts that it's I look like Pee Wee Herman in the closet when he wore on the show.
0: <laughs> That's pretty cool.
2: would you Would you say then that the Superman shirt would be part of, say, your race day ritual, like something you have to do on race day?
1: Not necessarily, but if you watch the movie, and here's one of the, the things that people don't know about Superman, the S, the Superman S, that stands for hope. That's why it's on his chest. So that's why my stable has Superman, because there's hope in our barn that we can go up there and perform and hope for the horses. and it... That's why it's there. That's one of the that's, biggest reasons.
0: That's so cool, because 2020, this year, not a lot of people have a lot of hope. So uh, you're an inspiration for those people that think 2020 has been such a a down year you know, you're the opposite. It's been a good year for you.
1: Yes, it has. Uh, it's been a long time coming. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's been a long time coming. The the crazy things, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and I do, I, I believe in God fully. And he puts you in different spots. You know, he, he puts you in, to get to where you need to go. I mean, I, I don't, feel like everything happens for a reason, but I think that we have free will to make choices. And I think he guides you in the right direction.
0: Oh, that's I, well said, very well said. Cause he gives us the wisdom to make those choices.
1: Yes. Um, I've been, like I said, I've been a jockey for, for forever. Um, I love being a jockey. I love riding racehorses. I love riding in that gate. I love being one with the horse. I love to be able to look over and tell you, I just wanted your horse and I didn't even have to do anything. I just, I just pushed him to the wire and I didn't even have to use the whip. I hand rode him and he responded. That was one of my favorite things to do as a jockey. If I could win by a neck and just push the, the little bit that I needed to get there, that's what I was going to do. Um, because that's, that's the passion I had in the horse because I knew that when he's ready to win, he's going to win. And sometimes you can ride a horse with a, that's a three to two favorite and you can win by 15 links because he's the best horse and you can whip him and you can ride him hard and you can finish him off. But in the same day, you can just get what you need out of him, and he'll go back to the barn. Like he didn't even run because now, you know, you didn't push every ounce out of him and you know, that's what I loved. But riding through this, this whole journey as a jockey, it seems like every time I turned around, I was stopped I was there was something that would always make me do something different. I would not do good. I'd have to gallop horses. I'd come back, ride, I'd win a few races. Something would happen. And, and I, I, since a kid, I always wanted to be a, I knew I would be a trainer because I just knew that I understood the horse, but I wanted to be a jockey way more than I wanted to be a trainer. But I wasn't allowed to be a successful jockey. I had success, but not to be successful over the top. And I think that's what led me here.
2: Wow. And how did you pick yourself up? Like every time you got to one of those roadblocks and you felt like, you know, it just was holding you back, was there anything that really just spurred you on to keep going? Or how do you pick your confidence up again, you know, when you do have a loss?
1: I used to watch, this is crazy, Uh, I used to watch professional wrestling when I was a little kid. Them guys are my heroes. Um, I used to watch them get beat up on Saturday. They're so hurt, they're dead in the ground. And then next week, there they are, sitting there talking on the TV, battling it out again. I used to say, if these guys can do this, then I can do it. You know, you go through tribulations, you get knocked down, you got to take a rest. I'm not saying that we all don't take a rest and we all don't need a break and we all don't, don't, just need to reset but you can't give up you have to follow through you have to keep pushing you have to keep walking up that steep mountain because nobody knows where the top of that mountain is and when you when you give up you slide all the way back down to the bottom of it and maybe you're a foot away from and the next step you're at the top and nobody that fighter understands
2: mentality, isn't yeah, it?
1: No nobody understands if you take that last step you may be at the top but everybody gives up and mm-hmm. they slide all the way to the bottom and they got to start again. But if you just keep going, keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going one day this world will touch you on the shoulder and say you know what today's your day and it's your time to shine.
0: Wow. So Keith, are you accepting Horses into your training barn, or do you train explicitly for one owner?
1: Um, at this time, I train for a man named Jack Randall. Um, uh, he lives in Reno, Nevada. He's a, he's a big part of of what I've done. He okay. is my guy that has put up the finances um, for other people. I've had some other clients that have came in, but I'm um, not that I don't want to train for them, but I'm being a little bit choosy because i don't want this to turn into a just a big business i want us to enjoy it i want us to um enjoy the horses i want us to know that when you buy a racehorse you're not looking to pay your electric bill or your car note you either have to have the money to enjoy this hobby or you don't need to be with me if you want a deal or you want a cheaper trainer you need to find that that guy that fits you, but I'm the guy that's going to do the best job for you. We're going to win while you're here, but on top of the winning, we're going to enjoy it. And cool. that's just, that's just the way I'm going about this.
0: Well, good for you. It sounds like you've got a good business plan and Kate, did you have any other questions for Keith?
2: And um, My only other question was, have you found over the years that your training style has changed or, you know, is there anything that you do now that you know, you find is really important in training horses that you didn't maybe use in the beginning?
1: Yes. Uh, you learn every single day. Um, I don't have a same. I, I've worked for so many people that have a same, uh, mentality of a same, they, they train horses like they're robots. Everything is put down on paper and they try to execute that with every horse. I'm not like that. I try to read every horse. I try to um, let them tell me basically what's going on. But what I do do is I train very, very, very hard. Um, Because in sports, nobody practices easy. Nobody goes out there and just um, jumps rope and then decides. A boxer doesn't just jump rope and eat a steak and go in the ring and and box a match. (laughs) mean I mean, he, he, he works six weeks, solid hard. I mean, walking in the snow. Somebody told me other day said, why do you, I have a, uh, the next horse I run is going to run in a steak race. And he asked me, he said, and he's been leading trainer here four times. He says, why do you get on that horse so late in the, in the afternoon, in, in the morning? I says, you really want to know? He says, yeah. I says, because when we run in the afternoon, he's going to have to run in the heat. I said, if I protect him and bring him out here in the cool weather, when it's time to perform, he's going to hit this heat and he's going to just feel like exhausted because it's so hot. He's in a stall with a fan. He's, he's not feeling the effects of what it's going to be when he has to perform and, and, he said, really? I said, Well, you didn't see Rocky Balboa fight the Russia Russian. He went <laughs> to friggin he went to Russia, started running in the snow. He started lifting friggin' trees on his back. He started working as hard as he could. And it's funny that it was sunny out the day he fought. There was not even no friggin' snow. We started <laughs> laughing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. It makes total sense to get them acclimated to what they're gonna be competing in. Exactly. So that's a good thought that I'm sure a lot of people never really think about because of the tradition of training in the morning. And then they go to their stall and they're pretty much in the stall till the next morning. So that's some good points. Um, Keith, what did you think about the horse racing integrity um, and safety uh, authority that was announced yesterday that they're going to slowly integrate um, a national program of, um, you know, racing, kind of like the British Horse Racing Authority is a national Horse Racing Authority in the UK. Um, do you have any specific feelings about that, that, you know, it will eventually lead to no race day medications? And um, I think two-year-olds will not be able to race on six uh, once it passes, but uh, older horses will have a three-year grace period. So you think that's going to be a good move for the public perception of racing?
1: For the public perception, I think that, you know, no drugs is always going to make everybody feel better. But horses need some kind of they need they need Lasix is not a very bad drug. It, it, it takes that water weight off. Horses bleed. Um, um, I, I know, you know, Nancy, where they bleed out of their nose. And, and when we don't give them Lasix, you know, the, most of them do bleed. I mean, we don't know the cause of them bleeding, but they do bleed Um, uh, and and pain medication should be used because we, we need the pain medication to a certain degree, but these guys that go overboard Mm -hmm. and make these horses perform harder than what they should be running, that should, that all needs to be cut out. There should be huge regulations on what you can give horses and And I think that will really help us.
0: Yeah, I think it will, too. I think it really will be the survival of our sport because um, we, you know, we've had such a problem with public persona and with indictments coming out and all that. I think you're absolutely right that, you know, it can only help us and I think kind of give us a higher social license to operate and continue this sport you know so yeah. and, and
1: it's used that these guys are taking measures to try to keep our sport alive
0: Mm-hmm. yep yep so well Kate did you have any further questions I yeah, think well, that's
2: everything I had there but I just thought it's been absolutely amazing and um, talking to Keith you're just you're so inspirational to listen to and you can really tell like your passion just comes across and your drive for the sport.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about if we have any time about the four people recently that got me to this position.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, uh, I I work for Tom Amos, who is an incredible businessman who has, I mean, taught me so much, Um, took his time to teach me. He, He's very was very hard on me. He's a hard person to deal with, but he also has 80 head of horses and I don't know how many owners that he deals with, and he's won, you know, 4,000 races. And to me, he just helped me out so much, not helping me where he said, here's a horse or here's an owner or here's a water bucket, but he just helped me uh, just evolve as, as a person and and to move forward as a trainer. Um, and, and I thank Tom for that. I also want to say Dwayne Lucas is one of the classiest individuals I've ever been around. He is, um, he's a great person. He's an incredible horseman. He, his barn is immaculate. He loves his horses and he loves to win. And his wife is amazing. And they treated me like family when I worked for them and I love them for that. Um, I also worked for Mark Cassie. I was never an assistant trainer for Mark Cassie at all. I just exercised horses for him because of a man named David Carroll. Um, David Carroll is his his assistant. Um, David Carroll is an individual that does his job beautifully. I mean, he's got so much – the way he does things – the way that he his the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he, he does his job is if you're a trainer and you have him as an assistant trainer, you're blessed because he's probably a better horseman than Mark Cassie. And I hate to say that, but I really feel like he's the glue in that stable. And he taught me so much on them two-year-olds and he yelled at me more than one time. And, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I put my head down and 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 I just kept going and woke up the next day and went to work. And the one thing about David is if he told you on a horse to do this, this, and this and you couldn't do it, the next day he would get on that horse and he would show you exactly what he was talking about. Do this, this, and this. So he's he he was inspirational for me being here too. The last person that I want to talk about and this is during my riding career, is a man named Lou Mm O'Brien. Lou O'Brien at Fairmont Park took care of me my whole life. And I love that man tremendously.
0: Wow. Yeah, Lou was a great guy.
1: He was amazing.
0: I Um, remember he came in the shed row back when I first started we had stalls in the rear of his barn cuz we were in that old hospital barn and he came walking down with all this these honey bottles and uh he set them down and he said I'm going to teach you something he goes these horses have to have honey <laughs> and he left <laughs> the bottles there for me to start feeding the horses he said just put this honey on top dress, their feed, and they'll run for you. They'll love this honey. (laughs) You know, he was totally serious. So we started feeding them honey. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: I went, I went to Fairmont park when I was, I was riding in Florida at the time at Gulfstream and calder and I was doing okay. And I wanted my grandfather to be my agent. So we went to Fairmont. So I ended up getting, you know, getting to ride for Lou over the years and you know Lou became the leading owner of the United States. Um, I gave now I was there from 20 years old. I'm 46 years old now. So I rode Fairmont for probably 15 to 17 years and I rode for Lou for that long. For sure. I gave this man hell. When I tell (laughs) you I gave him hell, I was a brat. I was a smart ass. I thought that I was the greatest rider that ever sat on a horse. I, I, I don't know how he even kept me riding for him for all them years. I, I would have fired me. I would have told me to listen, little, little, little kid. You need to get out of here. Don't come back here. I don't want to see your face, but he always forgave me. He always rode me. He always put me in them friggin' shamrock friggin' colors. And (laughs) I mean, it didn't matter if it didn't matter. And, you know, Ralph Martinez, who Raul Martinez trained for him at first, and then Ralph took over the horses and who's won 2000 races and win, I don't know, 17 to 20 uh, training titles. He's one of my best friends I've lived. You talk about when what happens whenever you're not doing good and what do you do to get yourself back on your feet? And, well, when I'm not doing good, I call Ralph Martinez. I've lived on his couch. He's fed me. He's done everything for me. He's like a brother to me. I, I love him. I, I mean, I talk to him every, almost every single day. I give him L, too, because that's just what, what friends do. We give each other – that's men. Men, we just kill each other's ego. But <laughs> but I just wanted to talk about those guys because they were the most inspirational people in you know, where I'm at right now. I don't know where this is going to go. I know um, my plan is to have about 200 horses and to move forward and to be one of the top trainers in the country. Um, That's my goal as a jockey. I was a lost kid um, with a talent that didn't know what to do with it and didn't know how to talk to people. Um, I'm way beyond that now. Um, I can communicate. I'm not a smart ass and (laughs) I love horses. So here we are today.
0: Well, that's a good combination. It sounds like you're well on your way. And um, I'm just thrilled for you. So, and this will be broadcast. We're in 12 countries. So you're kind of giving other people uh, kind of a look at what it's like to be in the business and to keep pursuing and not to give up. So it's been a great interview. And I'll let Kate go ahead and wrap it up.
2: Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Keith. And I think I could just listen to your stories all day. So (laughs) it would be amazing if you do want to come back on another episode again in the future. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. And for next week, I think we're going to take a look at um, eBark, was it, Nancy?
0: Yes. Yeah. So we'll look at equine uh, behavior. And research questionnaire and how trainers can use it for free and kind of see an element of what's missing in their training program so it's a new uh, software uh, program it's free it's out of the University of Sydney and University of Melbourne and they're kind of opening opening it up for all horse owners enthusiasts whoever has a horse and wants to keep track of your training and its um, results, um, we'll be able to sign up and use eBark, and we'll have the link to it on our show notes. And Perfect. I'm also, I'm also going to put the link to Keith on uh, the show notes for this week, and um, we'll have, um, you know, uh, his information. And, Keith, um, did you say you were – you're being very picky about taking on new clients, but did you mind if I put a link um, to your Facebook page? Or would how love would it. You, How would people, you prefer people get a hold of you?
1: I mean, they can get a hold of my messenger, on my Facebook page. Um, I, I'm pretty sure my phone number's on there. Um, okay. That's what i call. I'll... Yeah. It's just... Okay. I would love to train for horses. I would love to train for, for people. I would love to train your horse. I'd love to come to the winter circle, but let's do this as a hobby and do it as a passion and get the sport of love right back in this thing.
0: Okay, that sounds good. I'll make sure I use your messenger link and um, it's been a great show. Thank you so much, Keith. I know you're busy and thank you for taking the time uh, to get together with us today.
1: Thank you all and uh, have oh, a good day. Okay. You too.
2: Take care.